Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Amen. Thanks, brother. I think I have a new favorite song. That's good. <laughs> um, I love you guys. I'm really thankful that you're here. And, uh, and I wish I had time to say that to everybody. I, I wish I had time to engage every single person. I, I haven't. Um, but, I, but I do want you to know how much it means to me uh, for you to be here, for you to have sacrificed to come down. Um, not just from Kaya, but from Iola, from Ocala, uh, from Tampa. Um, and, and anybody else that's, that's here representing. This is a sacrifice that we make every year, and, and I do believe that this particular retreat um, is the one that, that we walk away from the most um, envisioned, uh, the most consecrated. Uh, for me, this is the most consecrating retreat that we do all, all year. Uh, maybe it's just the time of the year, um, it being in the, in, in the fall, and, and we know that we're going right back into ministry. Um, but man, when the word is open, and we're together, and we're talking with specificity about what we struggle with as Kaya, as, as, uh, as ministers on campuses, as people reaching other young people, there's just something very specific and precious about the time when we get away like this, and and I don't think that the sacrifice that you made is, is in vain. And I do believe that over the last couple days that, that God has given many of us opportunities to work through and address issues in our lives uh, that maybe we've been struggling with for a long time or maybe that was revealed to us even just this weekend, things that we were blind to previously. We are learning how, we are actively learning how to root up sins in our lives, calling out uh, thoughts, false thinking, and, and false emotions, all right? Calling them out, and we're beginning to bring them into the light so that God can deal with them. I think that that is what ha- is happening. There's some of you, though, that are holding out. And I think the struggle for me this morning, I was, I was really struggling with coming into the pulpit because I feel like everything that's needed to be preached has been preached. Like everything that, that I was desiring to get done has gotten done, um, and I think that the, the, the there, there are going to be people who are holding out. People who are afraid of, of making hard decisions. There are people in here that are afraid to go back to their, go back to life. You know? And I really do believe that there are people that are probably in this room that are holding on to things. Some of you aren't saved. You don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and maybe you've been hiding that for a really long time that you don't know. I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God would, would chase you down and show you just how wonderful He truly is. I mean, I can't say anything that that song didn't, didn't say. There are some of you who have sins that, that you are so proud, you're so proud, and you're holding on so deeply and so desperately to that is going to continue to get in your way of unity in the body. It's going to affect your relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ. The Lord is going to begin to feel distant to you. The fog will set in, and eventually, eventually you'll be out adrift in, in, at the sea. Do not do that to the Lord. He's so worthy. And I think today the only thing I want to do in my communication is relay just how worthy Jesus is. Just how worthy that he is. Let's let's start. I'm going to pray and then we'll start reading through Jonah. And then we're going to address two different things. don't, Don't quit on me. I know you're tired. Okay? We're going to address two different things, and then um, I, I'm hoping we'll have time to do a, a Q&A with, with Dan and I. If that, is that something people would want to do? Um, and then I'll probably invite uh, Eric to participate in that. 
What do you think about that, Eric? Okay, let's pray. Lord, you are... I'm awestruck by you. And God, I, I recognize that so many times I'm so busy being a Christian that I forget Christ. Forgive me that. That I don't see you for who you are. I'm so busy doing Christian things that I, that I forget the one that saved me. And Lord, I just pray, pray that, Lord, we would adore you this morning. That we would pour out whatever we have left, intellectually, emotionally. We would pour it out before you and say, God, just continue to cleanse us. There's more to cleanse. There's more to be purified. There's things I'm still holding on to. There's things that I don't even know of. Lord, let, would you please deal with those things now? Change me. God, I, I pray that the word this morning would cut the way that it's supposed to, but Lord, heal the way that it's supposed to as well. And uh, Lord, that your word would soften our hearts and our mind and allow us to be conformed to your image. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, just to uh, re-familiarize ourselves with the passage Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up, and he rose up to flee. He rose up to go to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. All right? Now, now I, I don't think I need to revisit that portion of the passage too much, I think we got it, that we are a lot like the mariners, right? Okay, uh, we have false gods for our emotional security, and we have, we have false methods for, to create a false stability, and we, we, we are looking for security and stability in life when things are out of control, when things are confusing, when things are difficult, and oftentimes we lean into our own understanding, Correct? And we've got, to learn to, we've got to learn to go to the Lord for our stability. He is our rock. We also talked about how a lot of times as we, as we practice methods of uh, false stabilization and false security, that what can happen over time when God is asking more of us, we find ourselves in a place of apathy. Meaning we find ourselves disconnected emotionally from who God is. Our zeal begins to die. And we have the ability to fall asleep when God's shaking us awake. We have the ability to ignore him, to ignore his people, to ignore his mission, to ignore his will for our life. All the while he's he's slapping us about the face, calling us to wake up. And and we're just frozen in our own shame and inability. Now what we're going to see here is the impact of Jonah's testimony on these mariners. Okay, we're going to see why all of, all of the selfish thoughts, um, all of the, the false thinking that Jonah has done up to this point, how that begins to affect the people around him. Has anybody ever sinned and it affected other people? Right? Yeah, come on. Every single one of us have sinned in a way that affects other people. Now, I want to say this. That that's really obvious when you, um, I don't know, are mean. Okay? Right? It's really obvious how that affects other people when you're a mean person. Okay? Um, there's, there's things that are really obvious correlations that we can make. Uh, if, if, if you are lazy at your job, okay, that's sin. And that affects all of your coworkers, doesn't it? Other people are going to pick up your slack, and that affects your testimony. And you can see, you can see that, uh, that causal effect very, very easily. But I want to say something to you, and this is, I want to say this, that a lot of times our subtlest sins 
We don't recognize their long-term causal impact. The subtle ones. Like not being in God's word every day. We don't think about, oh, that doesn't affect anyone but me and my relationship with God. It's really just that's between us. No, that affects everyone. That affects this family. It affects this body. Oh, well, if I don't, if, you know, if I'm feeling like I don't need to go to Bible study tonight or, or I'm just feeling distant from church and, and that's really between me and the Lord. It doesn't really affect anyone. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And there's all kinds of subtle things that we do that really do have serious implications for the people that we love around us, people that we often minister to. Look at verse 6. We're going to talk about how God needs to free us from a harmful testimony. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that that God will think upon us that we perish not. Okay, so that seems like a fair question. Imagine how, how uh, glaringly bizarre it would be for the mariners to find Jonah asleep when they're losing their minds. Everyone on that ship would agree, this dude is weird. What is he doing sleeping when the, when the boat is about to break? People are probably vomiting everywhere. That's how I imagine it. They're like throwing up. Right? They're throwing stuff off the ship. They're freaking out. They're crying. And this dude's asleep. That would look particularly strange. I want to remind you that your life communicates something about what you believe. When you are an apathetic Christian, when you're an isolated Christian, when you're a Christian who stands on the fringe, when you're a Christian that holds on to secret sin... When you're a Christian who's double-tongued and double-minded, that affects the lost world. They see it and they know it. People are watching you. And their perspective on God is informed by the posture of your life. Some of you look visibly complacent in your faith. The Christians can see it clearly. But the lost can see it too. They can see it. They see it in the way that you hold yourself. They see it in the way that you talk about your job. They see it in the way that you handle your days, day after day, when when, when difficulty comes, when struggles come into your life, when the storm comes. They see your complacency. They see your apathy. They see your failure to worship the God that you say that you believe in. They see it. That's not just you that sees that. It's not just you that feels that. That's everyone that knows you. And they said, everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil has come upon us. As of right now, they don't know that Jonah is the, is the, the, the catalyst for all of their problems. They don't know that yet. And so what they do here is they cast lots, which is basically an Old Testament method to prophesy to gain information, okay? And so what they did is they cast these lots, right? And it was revealed to them that Jonah was the problem, that Jonah was the reason that the, sh- the sink was, uh, uh, the, the sink, the ship was sinking. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, tell us, they go to him and they say, tell us, we pray thee for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they want to know why. Why is this happening to us? You have something to do with this. This evil that's taking place. This difficulty that's taking place. This storm of consequence that we're all in has something to do with you. So I love the line of questioning. Because they don't really know Jonah. He's just on their ship. Listen, what they say is, what is thine occupation? They want, to know, they want to know who this guy is. Suddenly they're really interested in Jonah. What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? They are desperate for an answer to their problem, and now they have discovered that it has something to do with Jonah. And so the inquiry begins. You know, people are asking questions about you, too. You know, you know Antonio? 
you know, in class, he's a Christian. Did you know that? Right? He's a Christian. Did you know that? And then the watching begins. The inquiry begins. The investigation of your life begins. Your classmates, the people that you work with, your family members. Did you hear, did you hear that, that um, Alex got saved? He's a Christian now. By the way, did you hear that Alex got saved? Hey, by the way, did you guys, did you hear that Amy got saved? Jamie? I just met Jamie. Where is she? Jamie, there she is. Maggie's friend. Just got saved. But, but the thing about being a Christian is that the gaze of the people around you, their eyes are upon you, and now you're under inquiry. And, w- and when the storms come, when the storms come into your life, then the answers to their questions about your faith begin to come. Things begin to be revealed about your faith. Verse 9, And he said unto them, here's his response, I am in Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? Okay, let's, let's back up. Let, let me retrace what it is you said. You said you're Hebrew. Okay, that makes no difference. You fear the Lord. You fear the one who made the sea and the dry land. You fear him? then why hast thou done this? In light of who you say you are, why does your life not reflect the fear that you say you have of God? You say you fear the Lord, but everything about your life proves differently. This is the question that every lost person should have when they see a Christian who lives a selfish life on the run from God, living in fear, living in apathy. They see it. They see the fear that you have. They see that you're an anxious person. They see that you're, that you're insecure about things, about the way that you look, about the way that you carry yourself, about the way people think about you. They see that. They see that. It's written on your character. It's written on your countenance. They see the testimony of who you are. And sometimes your testimonies are harmful to what you say that you believe. Sometimes your life is contrary to the faith that you espouse. You know it. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. Key point, I believe number one, if I remember correctly. The souls of the people around you experience the gospel through your testimony. Pretty simple. Simple, isn't it? The souls of the people around you Experience the gospel through your testimony. When you call yourself Christian, but then live a life incongruent to God's will, your life screams that the gospel is fraudulent. That the gospel is fraudulent. Now, I want to go as far to even say that sometimes when your life emphasizes the wrong things, when the priorities of your life are wrong, it does the same thing. Okay, so-and-so says that they're a Christian, and they go to church. I think they go to that one church, blah, blah, blah. But you know what I noticed? Is that they play video games. Like, they talk about video games all the time. Now, they weren't, they're not going to say this out loud, but this is what's going on in their mind. And they play video games all the time, and I'm, I would bet in my mind that that person loves video games more than they love God. That person is constantly talking about their profession and their career. And I would bet in my mind that they love their profession and career more than they love God. I mean, the things that are coming out of your mouth and the actions of your life, they say something, and they teach people what Christians prioritize. They don't know the word Laodicean. They don't know that word. But guess what? They're very, very familiar with it. The lost world does not know anything about lukewarm Christianity, but they feel it, and they feel it in your presence constantly. Now here's the deal, we're not talking about you needing to be perfect. See, you'll never be perfect. You'll never be perfect. It will never happen. 
And in fact, when you fail, those are awesome opportunities for you to proclaim Christ by confessing your faults. Christians are really bad at this. They're bad at this at school. They're bad at it in the workplace. What you want to do is because you want people to perceive that you're perfect, you try to cover up the sin, just like what we talked about yesterday. Instead of rooting it out and saying to everyone, this is how I failed, everyone, I am so sorry. I failed you in this way. I, I didn't get that report turned in on time. I know that it was due. I know I spoke about that person ill and I shouldn't have done that and you apologize openly to them. Christians don't do that among the lost world because they're, the weird thing is they're afraid to lose their testimony. How contradictory is that? They're afraid to lose their testimony and so what they do is they cover up their sin. They go to sleep in the bow of the ship. They disappear. They remove themselves and instead of bringing the things out into the light that they need to do, they're busy covering up the fact that they're actually hypocrites. You know what Christians do? They apologize. You know what Christians do? They allow their, their lives to be vulnerable to people in a way that says, you know what, I'm not perfect, but my God is. And here's the biggest problem with, 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 a, with the, a, our poor testimony, okay? We're not talking about perfection. What we're talking about is you mounting miniature rebellions day to day in your life. Tiny, tiny little rebellions that people see. Well, that doesn't... That's what Christians do? Okay. Wouldn't have expected that. Little, tiny little rebellions, and that's what people see in your life. A Christian who rebels against God does violence to his authority. So let me slow down here. These guys are in the ship. They're praying to all of their gods. In their mind, their gods are, val are, are valid, but they're actually, we talked about this, they're void. They're not, they're not real. Jonah's added into the mix. He's got a god. They say, go pray to that god. Go pray to your god. We'll pray to our gods. You pray to your god. Okay, and we'll, just, and we'll hope we get out of this situation. Right? That's what's going on. But when they find out who his god is, and they see that the problems that they're facing are his fault, it puts the authority of Jonah's God in question. It defrauds his name. It defrauds the name of God. See, the lost world stands, stands watch against you and testifies against our God because of our exceptionally poor testimonies. Do you know that they're doing that? They're standing watch over your life. They're waiting for you to slip up because what they're looking for is justifications for why they can remain in their sin. That's what they're doing. We, we shouldn't be giving them reasons why it's okay for them to sin. So how can, how can Jonah possibly say he fears God and yet run from him? Isn't that weird? Isn't that, it doesn't make any sense. How can Jonah possibly say he fears God and yet run from him? How do we get to a place where we think so poorly of God? I mean, how do you say, I fear God, but you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm running from him. Shut up. That's the stupidest thing ever. It doesn't make any sense. But you know you're doing it. If you're doing it, you know you're doing it. I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm saved. So what's that like? You wouldn't use these words, but what you really should say is, well, I'm running. Why? Well, I, I fear him. No. Yeah, no. No, no, I don't fear him. I don't really fear him. I say I fear him, but I don't fear him. How do we get to that place where we think so poorly of who God is? How do we get to a place where we hate the souls of others so, uh, around us so much that we would misrepresent our God to them when they're in need of salvation? You ever thought of it that way? How much do you have to hate the souls of the people that are around you from day to day that you would misrepresent their sal the salvation that's being offered to them? You'd misrepresent it completely. No, our testimony means something. Now listen, just like Jonah, we're double-minded. You ever heard that term before? Double-minded? James 1.8 says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Would we all agree that Jonah's unstable? Jonah's fairly unstable. A lot of you guys are unstable. Okay? Now get the picture for a moment of a double mind. His mind is torn between the reality of God, 
his fear of God over here. Here's one mind. Here's the reality of what I believe. I say I believe over here. And then I have a mind over here that refuses to obey him. Two minds, double-minded. How does that happen? How does that happen? How does it get to a place where on one side of our mind we want to conform to God and the other side of our mind we want to conform to the world? And so here's the question for you. If you have a double mind, if you struggle with double-mindedness, where you're back and forth in your faith, in what ways are you giving your mind opportunity to conform to the world? If you're double-minded, think about all the ways daily in which you're giving your mind over to worldliness in what you look at, in what you listen to, in the things that you're interested in, in the conversations that you engage in, what you think about in the quiet place, when you're at home, when you're laying in bed, the things that you think about, the things you expose your mind and your heart to. Think about those things. In what ways are you exposing your mind to the world? That produces double-mindedness. In what ways do you give your mind opportunity to form to Christ? Now I want to point something out to you. Dan hit on this yesterday when he was talking about social media and all that stuff and he was making you guys feel really bad. <clears throat> you should feel really bad. You know why? I was going to... I won't I'll say it. I was going to call you guys worms again. It's freaking worms. That's why. Yeah. Amen. Um, in what ways do you give your mind over to conformity to Christ? Okay, so let's talk about those ways. They're very obvious ones. Oh, I go to Bible study every week. Uh, yeah, I go to church on Sundays. I give my mind over to Christ. I listen to Sam. You know, some of you guys, you only pray on Tuesday nights. The only time you pray is on a Tuesday night prayer. And in many ways, what we have is we have a double mind. And the reason we have a double mind, you know that we've got a flesh, right? We've got another nature that, that, that is holding on until the end, right? And it's going to bother us. But the thing is, when we feed the flesh, we produce a double mind. And it grows. And, and the double mind, like, sometimes the double mind begins to grow and it surpasses the mind that we have in Christ. It surpasses it. And we get this... We get this what we've been talking about is aberrant thinking, this double-mindedness, right? The only way to cause the worldly aspect of your mind, of your double mind, to shrink and dissipate is to balance out the amount of God that you pour into you. This is, very, this is like Christianity 101. The only way to fight against the double mind, and, and the, like... All the, all the things that you guys have repented of this weekend, the things that you've been confessing, the things that you struggle with, you're going to go ba right back home and you're going to practice things that you were practicing before. And even though you've repented and you say, I fear God, you're going to feed into the other side of your double mind and you're going to just produce more wickedness. You know, I've, it, it, speaking of the garden illustration, a lot of times I'll, weed, like, I'll dig out weeds and what I'll do is I'll dig them out and I'll get them real good. I'll get them at the roots. And then I'll make a pile of them off to the side and think, well, I'm going to throw those in the compost pile or I'll do something like that. And I leave them there and guess what? That pile, the next season, has produced a whole bed of weeds. I'm like, oh, crap, I didn't throw that out, did I? Right? And what I've done is I've accidentally multiplied the work. You can repent of something this weekend. That's fine. That's great. That's dandy. We're all for that. We've got your back. We love you. We're praying for you. And you can go home and just do the same stuff that you were doing before and feed the other side of your double mind and just produce more wickedness. And it might look different even. I don't know. But double-mindedness is the issue. Which mind do you feed the most? Romans 12.2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. You want to be transformed? Everybody in this room right now would say, they would be in agreement. I want to be transformed. Right? I mean, most of you. There's still some holdouts. I get that. But listen, I want to be transformed. And you do that by the renewing of your mind. That ye may prove, prove, prove. Prove to who? 
Prove to God, prove to me, prove to other people. Prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It begins with the renewing of your mind. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I wonder how many of us have misrepresented God to our friends, family, co-workers, and classmates. Okay, ask yourself right now. Have I harmed my testimony with anyone? Just ask yourself in your heart. With a friend, with a family member, with my mom, with my dad, with someone at school, with a teacher, with a professor. Have I harmed my testimony with anyone? Now, do you feel bad about that? You can say yes. Yeah, I mean, all of us have done this, right? We, all of us have people that... If you, if you have all of your relationships are perfect right now, okay, we'll pat yourself on the back. You don't need to listen anymore. <clears throat> you feel bad when you've harmed your testimony with other people. How do you fix that? Can you go back in time? Can you get in a time machine? Can you go back and fix that problem? That, that, that way that you harmed a person or that sin that you did, that failure that you had? Can you go back in time and fix what you did a year ago? Two years ago? the way you misled, the way you misrepresented Christ, the way that you failed other people, the way that you harmed your testimony, the way that you undermined the authority of God's name, can you go back and fix that that way? No, you can't. I'm sorry, you can't do that. The only thing you can do is choose to, to correct double-mindedness now. How, how do we undo what we've done? Well, some of you need to go apologize. You need to ask for forgiveness because again, that models Christ. That models your faith. But the question really is, long term, how do we get a heart and mind that properly represents Christ? How does one escape a failed testimony? And the answer is in James chapter 4, verse 8. This is the answer. Draw nigh to God. For a lot of you, that's the one thing you won't do. It's bizarre. You want to call yourself Christian. And the one thing you won't do is draw nigh to God. And he will draw nigh to you. That's a promise, guys. Well, I don't feel close to God. Well, have you drawn near him? I feel like God's been really distant lately in my relationship, and I'm feeling apathetic. We'll draw nigh to him. Take a step toward him. And he will reciprocate. Draw nigh to God. And he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. And listen. And purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. And let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. This is, this is what's important. You're going to continue to fail because you suck. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I get it that you made a mistake. And, and, and I've been hearing this all weekend. The things I've done, I don't know how I can be forgiven. How can I get back to a place where I was with Christ before? I don't even know how to get there. I feel so distant. I feel so apathetic. My heart has been hardened. I don't know what to do. I'm going to fail again. I'm wicked. I'm gross. Yes, you are. You're all those things. You're wicked. You're gross. You're filthy. So am I. The issue is not perfection. The issue is rebellion. And the only way you're rebellious is if you do this to God. That's rebellion. And the way that you fix your testimony, and the way that you fix who you are, there's only one solution. It's not complicated. 
Quit complicating it. Now I'll sit with you, and we'll have our counseling session, and I'll, I'll talk to you every week. I don't care. We'll sit down, and we'll work through it. But ultimately, the only answer that I have for you, if I'm going to boil it down, if I'm going to sum it up, is draw nigh to God now. Spend time with the one that saved you. Quit calling yourself Christian without staring and gazing into the beautiful and majestic and holy eyes of our, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Quit calling yourself Christian. You aberrant thinking, rebellious. You don't even know that you're doing it. It's like this. It's like a shuffle backwards. You don't even know you're doing it. You've gotten so accustomed to moving backwards that you've forgotten what it means to just, just to draw, just to draw nigh to God. You've forgotten what the intimacy feels like. You've forgotten what it is to know him in every regard and to stare at his word as though you're, having a con- you're sitting down with him for coffee. That's what his word is to you. You've forgotten what that feels like. You've lost your first love. That's why you act Laodicean. That's why your, your testimony sucks at work or at school. That's why your family members think that you're a jerk. Intimacy with Christ has a way of setting our focus and settling our discontentments. It has a way of doing that. Intimacy with Christ has a way of settling our focus and set, and, and our, setting our focus and settling our discontentment. Some of you, you can't get things right in your life because you're completely unfocused. Satan is totally... His... his um, chaos campaign in your life has made you just spastic in regards to, to like your thought life. You're all over the board. You know who you are. You're, you're all over the place. You're, an, you're an anxious individual. And knowing Jesus Christ has a way of setting our focus. Giving us a singular way of thinking. And it has a way of settling the discontentment in our heart. Because when your mind is all over the place and you're anxious, you know what I'm talking about? Your heart is not settled either. Right? And, and suddenly you're not content and you're, and, and, and you're looking for love in all the wrong places. Why, why did I say that? That's a song, isn't it? I don't even know. I don't even know if, is it a country song? Who sings it? Is that a Garth Brooks song? See, no one even knows. Iola, you guys are the country people. What are you supposed to know? This? Oh, Chance, who, Chance. George Strait? There you go. Country girl over here. We need, our, we need our minds focused. We need our hearts content. Key prayer. Key prayer. Set me free from sin and purify me. That's the, that's the request that a double-minded person is supposed to make. Purify me. And purify me that I might radiate the reality of my salvation. Why is purity important for a double-minded person? Imagine, think about a precious metal that's got a bunch of, of um, what's it, dross in it, right? We were referring to dross last night. It's that when we say dross, what we mean is stuff that's not gold, like you've got gold or silver or precious metal. The stuff in there in that rock, in that chunk that's not actually a part of the precious metal, what you do is you burn it to refine it. You refine it and you purify it. You purify it. You melt it down. You let it burn out. You let it settle. Then you do it again. And then each time you do that in that process, it burns out the impurities. It does away with them. That's exactly what Dan was talking about last night. So imagine for a a second you have a chunk of raw gold. And in it, you know that there's impurity in there. You know that it's not perfect. You know that it's not completely right. You know that it's not a mature piece of gold. So what do you do? You melt it down. You purify it. You let the things burn out. Purifying the heart and the mind of someone who has a poor testimony corrects that issue. It fixes double-mindedness. Purify me. You know how you get purified? is You practice repentance regularly. Before the Word of God, as you read the Word of God, as it gets into you and it sets a fire ablaze in your spirit, 
You make confession before the, the, the Lord, and as your confession is made, the dross of your life is lifted out like chaff. Am I beating the dead horse? Set me free from my sin, God. I hate it. I hate it. I hate my fear. I hate my anger. I hate my short temper. I hate that I feel self-justified all the time, like I always have to be right. I hate that I keep distance from people that I love. I hate that I, whatever it is, just go. Just do it. You know it. You know what's in there. You know what's in there. Help me, God. Purify me. That I might radiate the reality of my salvation. Next, free, free us from our solutions. This is, this is where we'll go and this is where we'll, we'll cap this off, okay? Free us from our solutions. Now, let's start here. Okay, let's start in, I believe we're in verse 10, the second part of verse 10. Okay, it says, For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. He did. <laughs> he did do that. Yeah, I'm running from the God I believe in. Okay. Then said they unto him, Well, what shall we do unto, you, unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? If you're the problem, what do we do with you? For the sea rotten was tempestuous, which is a great word. I'm going to use that word more often, tempestuous. So this is a fair question. You caused this mess, now fix it. What are we going to do with you, Jonah? Now notice how Jonah answers, and this is what I want to, I want to point out to you. And he said unto them, take me up. I mean, in terms of the character study here, I just want you to see how pathetic and sad Jonah is. He's, very, he's a sad individual. If you take me up and you cast me over the boat and you just kill me, then I'll escape this situation and so will you. It's sad. Okay, but listen to me. What we're about to see here for us in retrospect as people with a completed word of God, we actually see that Jonah becomes the perfect picture of Jesus Christ. He said, take me up and cast me forth into the sea. And so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. So some may, may not know this. So Jonah is a picture type here in this moment of Jesus Christ. And if you're not familiar with that, that, that phrase or that way of talking, a picture type is essentially when when a person is making a statement in the Bible that parallels a message somewhere else in Scripture, okay? So Jonah's life is a picture type of the life of Jesus Christ. Well, how? Jonah says, sacrifice me and peace will come. Throw me overboard for your sake and the sea will be calm for you. This is the message of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, his death, signifies the calming of the seas of our lives. Is that boring to you? Are you over that? Are you over the sacrifice that Jesus made for you? Some of us are. Some of us are. Some of us are over it. Ephesians 5, 2, it says, And walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and has, hath, hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Jesus Christ is our sacrifice that calms the seas of our lives. 
This is true in your salvation. This is true in your sanctification. This is true in the midst of your mission and your calling on your life, living that out. Jesus is the answer to calm the seas of your life in every moment. Do you rely on the sacrifice of Jesus every single day? Do you think about it? Do you consider it? Um, Let's turn to Matthew. It's not in my PowerPoint. Let's, Let's turn to Matthew. Chapter 27. Chapter 27, verse 24. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus unto the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him. And they put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him. They took the reed, they smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him, They took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to be crucified. As they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him uh, uh, him they compelled to to bear his cross. And then when when they were uh, come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him. And they parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. And they set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And and they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest, buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, all the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. He be the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and and we will believe him. Lying dogs. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. They're hanging on the cross themselves mocking him. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land into the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud, loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. I, I can never say that. <clears throat> that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, when they heard that, said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on, his, on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let, let, be, uh, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain 
from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake. And the rocks rent. And the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after the resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they which were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things uh, that were done, they feared greatly saying, truly, this was the Son of God. You remember that story? Do you remember that story every day? Or are you too busy being a Christian to remember Christ? Are you too, too busy trying to be perfect to remember that your solution lies with the one who saved you? Do you remember that day? Remember when you professed Jesus Christ and you knew him for everything that he was? And he calmed the sea of your heart last night? I heard, I heard Alex say, someone who's been around Christians for a weekend, this is what he said. A burden has been lifted. It's not good enough to believe that on the day of your salvation. It has to be true every single day. What are the burdens that you carry? What are the burdens that you're carrying? What are the things that you're struggling with? There is nothing that you carry that cannot, that cannot be fixed by God. Key point. There is no calming the storm. And there is no calming of our hearts without Christ's sacrifice. There is no calming the storm and there is no calming of our hearts without Christ's sacrifice. We think about the verse in Jeremiah last night and we talk about rooting out and, and pulling down, right? And, and, and throwing down and, and then building, right? And planting. We think about those things and we think about that activity in our life, that activity of of. of, of killing out the things that are wicked and building up the things that are righteous. Listen to me. That work cannot be done by the work of your hands. That work is done by Christ alone. That work is done at the foot of the cross. That work is done at the knowledge of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whatever emotional upheaval you find in yourself, whatever feelings or fear, confusion, whatever consequences you face, whatever refining you're undergoing, there will be no calm without Jesus. Many of us seek security and stability by worldly means. Those methods and those modes will only address symptoms at best. Dan said that last night. At best, they'll just address symptoms. They'll just be a band-aid. The answer lies at the foot of the cross and the continual remembrance of the sacrifice that he made. But this is where many of us are at. Verse 13 of Jonah chapter 1. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not. For the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Oh, you mean we're supposed to make sacrifice of you? That seems really unreasonable, don't you think? You want us to throw you overboard? I just can't bring myself to do that. All right, guys, grab the rose. Let's work a little harder. Maybe we can bring this bad boy into, into land. Maybe we can do it after all. Let's gather ourselves together. Let's put our best work in place. Let's get that security. Let's get that stability. We can do it. When those thoughts come into your life, that is a lie from the pit of hell orchestrated specifically for you. You cannot row yourself to shore. There is no peace outside of Christ. He will calm the sea. You don't believe it. 
The reason that I sit down with many of you over and over and over again for counseling is because in, in many regards, the little bit of faith that God's put on your lap to believe him, to believe him at the level of his ability to calm your sea, you can't do it. You think one more conversation is going to get, to you, get you there. It's not. Those conversations are good, but they're only good for one thing. Hey, let's go to the foot of the cross. Come on. Come on. Come on. What are you waiting on? Come on, let's go. Let's go. Oh, you want to wait till next week? Okay, that's okay. I'll be right here. But we're going this way. Because the calm and the peace is at the foot of the cross. See, you don't have to bear the wrath that he bore. You guys put yourself through so much wrath every single day. Your own, just, Satan has got you so deceived. Your, your emotional just baggage is heavy. The anxiety, the fear, the frustration, the perceptions of people about you, the way that you, th- you hate yourself. And you carry this and you've forgotten that the wrath of God was satisfied at the cross and you've been forgiven and you don't have to be anything but a child of God. You don't have to be anything. What do you think you have to be? I have to be a child of God. I have to adore the sacrifice. I have to believe in the resurrection. And I have to know that I've been set free. Key prayer. Set me free to abandon my answers and lay claim on the victories of your cross. Worship team. If you don't mind com- coming up, we'll do, we'll do a song. Is that okay? One song. This is the invitation. If you've repented this weekend, if there's things that you're working through and, and that you feel like you've, you've confessed and things that you're, you're dealing with, that God's getting you, you're, you're beginning to understand the victory, that it's there. You need to make sure that you're asking the Lord this very thing. God, day by day, will you help me to recognize your sacrifice so that I can actually have the victory that I'm looking for, so that I don't go back to my fleshly ways, that I don't go back to my worldly solutions. Would you help me remember the sacrifice? Would you help me rely on the sacrifice? If you've forgotten Jesus' sacrifice, you need to be praying. If you recognize that you have a tendency day by day by day by day to not remember Jesus Christ and you're too busy doing Christianity and you're too busy doing biblical discipleship and you're too busy doing D2 and you're too busy doing LFBI and you're too busy doing things that you've forgotten the beauty and the simplicity of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, let's go back there. Let's go back there. Can we do that? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you and I believe in you. Lord, I love you and I believe in you that you have the power to save. And if anyone in this room has not confessed you as their Lord and Savior, if they've only just acknowledged you in their mind, but never given you their heart, Lord, would you show them how to do that right now? Would you help them to make confession before you? Would you help them to say, Lord, be my God. Be my God. Save me from my sin." Deliver me from my ways. You are the one and only true God, and I worship you because of what Jesus did. Help them to do that. For those who have forgotten their first love, would you help them to deal with that now? Would you help them to say to you, God, you've brought me this far. 
You've brought me this far. You can take me on. You can hold my hand. You can walk me through the storm. You can deliver me from the sea. I don't need to orchestrate a plan. I need you. You are my deliverer, my fortress, my rock. I will put my faith in you again today. And I will do the same tomorrow. And I will know you in pain and suffering, in good times and bad. Lord, you are my God and I walk with you. Teach us how to pray that, God. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.com.